you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. Your host, Phil. Uh, lots to talk to, as always. Uh, the blowout or the hair appointment heard around the world with Nancy Pelosi. The hypocrisy, as if you didn't need any more evidence. She already provided a nice, tidy little gift for any Republican across the country to show you just how hypocritical Democrats are when it comes to the COVID lockdowns. Rules for thee, but not for me. I say it so much on this program, but it's becoming more and more true. Rules for thee, but not for me. Uh, We're also going to talk about SB 145 and some other things going on. And I'm also going to go straight at the heart of the California GOP and not hold back about how they are screwing up a major, major political move here in the state of California, how they could turn the tide here in California. But as always, the California GOP fails to do so because I don't know why the leadership isn't good. They like to stay on the defense. But let's get started with our out of the gate monologue. As if we didn't already know, the COVID lockdowns and restrictions are becoming more and more political and less about health every single day. We went from 15 days to flatten the curve to lockdowns until all positive cases are gone. Here in California, King Newsom continues to shift the goalposts to keep his emergency powers in place perpetually. We went from worrying about deaths and hospitalizations to now only positive cases. His new color-coded chart of confusion focuses only on one thing, positive cases. Not whether people are recovering or whether those getting are at less risk. Nope, just positive cases. Straight positive cases. Doesn't matter if there's a high incidence of false negatives. We only care about every time it's positive. So even while King Newsom deemed us peasants worthy of opening our business at minimal capacity, the rules don't seem to apply to everyone. In San Francisco, a failed example of how lockdowns may mean low cases but a ruined economy, the mayor stated that while she is technically allowed to open, they're going to continue with lockdowns because of health and science and data or whatever. Days later, a brave member of Congress went against the mayor's orders and went to the salon to have her hair did. The brave member of Congress was named Nancy Pelosi. I'm not sure you ever heard of her, but she's been in Congress for a while, like a long while. And even with salons being closed for indoor services, Nancy decided rules be damned and she needed a blowout and a coloring because she was supposed to appear on MSNBC a couple hours later. When a tape was released showing brave Nancy inside the salon without a mask, she endured the slings and arrows of being called a hypocrite. Even in the face of such scrutiny, she courageously held a press conference to fight back, demanding the salon apologize for setting her up and entwining her in some sort of right-wing sting operation. If this all sounds ridiculous, it's because it is. Nancy, of course, knew the rules in San Francisco. She knew indoor salon services were not available and that a mask was necessary at all times. She decried President Trump and the RNC just days before the president's acceptance speech and those who attended. What's worse is how her story changed within 24 hours. One day she claimed she didn't know, which is absurd, to the next day going on the offensive and saying the salon set her up. Now, Nancy Antoinette could only be two things in this scenario. She could be clueless as to the lockdowns in her district, which 
makes her a horrible representative. You don't know what's going on in your own district. Or she knew the rules and disavowed them anyway. I'm going to go with it's definitely the latter. Well, there are plenty of examples of Democratic hypocrisy regarding rules from Cuomo walking around without a mask, the mayor of Philadelphia crossing state lines to eat indoors. Nancy's story hits home the most because of the surrounding factors. San Francisco has been closed down for all of six months now. Businesses are either on life support, dead, or leaving the city in droves. Rental vacancies are skyrocketing because people don't want to pay thousands of dollars for a 600-square-foot studio and have no urban amenities. For Nancy to waltz into a closed salon without a mask and get an appointment should infuriate millions of Americans. I've said before, Republicans need to press Democrats on these lockdowns and not let them shake them off for political purposes. Biden himself is trying to change the narrative and say that he would have the country open faster because he would have handled COVID differently somehow. They're trying to shake the stigma of lockdowns, but it isn't working. Now Nancy has served the Republicans a gift with less than two months to go in the election. This hypocrisy needs to be shown in ads everywhere an ad can be displayed. Democrats have shown little empathy for the working class and the small business owners. You are merely the plebes that fund their lavish D.C. lifestyles. It is time to paint the Democrats as what they truly are. Elitist hypocrites who have no regard for everyday Americans and Americans should get out and vote in November with this in mind. So in a not shocking, but shocking, but, uh, you know, great turn of events for Republicans, as if you needed any more evidence that the Democrats really don't give two craps about you and your business or anything. Nancy Pelosi really did hand the Republicans an amazing gift. And Nancy Pelosi is already toxic to Midwestern states. She's already toxic in a lot of races because as long as people can connect Democrats to Nancy Pelosi, and I've said this before, you have to link the lower politicians in smaller races to the people who are leading their party. They've done the same with Trump for three years now. Any Republican is automatically linked with Trump and anything that Trump does automatically links to whatever Republican is running from senator all the way down to dog catcher. There's there's nothing that you can't do as a Republican that doesn't link you. As soon as you say you're a Republican, well, you must be a Trumper and you must support a guy who's a fascist and a racist and a big and blah, 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 blah. You've heard all the terms before. This is something that I don't think Republicans should let up on. They should absolutely run this hypocrisy. Nancy did not do Joe Biden any service by doing this and having it so close to the election. Because this sort of hypocrisy is what plays out in the states, especially the states that are already shut down and are suffering over and over and over again, is you start to see this hypocrisy that Democrats really don't care about the rules for COVID. In fact, it seems to them that they want you to abide by the laws, but they don't really have to because they're somehow more important. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had to get her hair did because... She was going to be on MSNBC later and she needed to look good. And it's funny that she went on MSNBC later, just hours after her hair salon appointment and chided President Trump for not being a leader and not wearing a mask. And she was caught red handed, not wearing a mask. But I think what's even more grotesque out of the Nancy Pelosi thing is the fact that she had the gall to 
actually turn around and blame this poor salon owner. Now, salon owners have already protested. I, I don't know if you saw the picture of the tree with all the hair, dry, hair dryers on it as a sort of peaceful protest. That's a real peaceful protest. They just hung some hair dryers outside her house along with an American flag. But that should really tick off a lot of small business owners because they've been doing, they've been abiding by the laws. They've been doing what they're supposed to do. Gavin Newsom keeps changing the parameters. He's moved things from positive cases or it went from deaths and hospitalizations. There were four phases of how we were going to reopen. Now there's this new color coded system that no one really understands what the heck is going on, which makes it incredibly hard to get anywhere close to the green area, which I guess is minimal. And even at minimal, you still can only really have like 50% of capacity for a lot of places. So a lot of these businesses are still working at very limited capacity. And my heart goes out to the restaurant business because I used to work in the restaurant business before I went to law school. And I already know that a lot of this is their profit margins are already razor thin. And because you are already taking away 50% to 75% of their revenue, and this is something that restaurant managers figure out and they know that if they average out a check and they have to flip tables this many times to bring in this much revenue to make rent, to pay their staff, everything like that to pay suppliers to keep a roof over the restaurant's head to tell them they can only operate at 10% capacity is basically sentencing most restaurants to death because they can't make it that way. So Nancy Pelosi then goes out and then she says, well, it's actually their fault. And I know you've heard the story. I know you've seen it all before, but it's becoming a trend with the Democrats because I think they backed themselves into a huge corner here. And the corner is, is that they're starting to see their internal polls. And just like uh, Hillary, who was a notorious poll chaser, um, whatever the polls said, that's what Nancy or Nancy, I'm getting confused now. Nancy and Hillary, they're all one in the same anyway, elitist Democrats. That's all they do is they look at focus groups and polls and they don't really care what they say as long as they get into power. They don't really stick by their convictions. So after pushing protests, after pushing lockdowns, all this for months on end, they're starting to see in probably their internal polling that a lot of this isn't really that popular and it's hurting them. And in fact, it's helping Trump close the gap. And if you believe any of these polls and I always say, well, you can take these polls and I could probably add four to five percent to Trump's approval or whatever, because you're not going to get a lot of that silent majority of people who are not really going to if they have your number. I believe that people aren't going to come out and say that they're voting for Trump. They're the secret Trump voters. They're going to go in. They're going to vote for Trump. They're afraid that if someone calls their house or that someone has their phone line, that if they say, well, I'm going to vote for Trump. I mean, just look it out there. A Trump supporter was shot in Portland. What makes you think that people are going to tell them that they want to support Trump? So I think that now you see their shift in their language. Even today, Joe Biden came out with this speech about the economy and he tried to downplay it and paint this horrible dark picture of how bad the economy is and that Trump is probably going to leave office with less jobs than when he started. All the while, he's he kind of leaves out the fact that there was this mass hysteria over the coronavirus pandemic, which we have never seen in our country and we did things we've never seen in our country's history, including nationwide shutdowns. And he's trying to blame that on Trump. So they're now backing off of this after cheering lockdowns, cheering, keeping businesses closed. Now they're trying to turn around and say, well, we want to open the 
economy as fast as possible, but we want to do it our way. And if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you over in Brooklyn because that's just a load of crap that they they don't. They're just saying this because they know that the economy is starting to top voters interest or voter priorities more than the coronavirus at this point, which is probably why Joe Biden came out and had a speech about the economy today um, just to show, oh, well, I believe this on the economy. I believe that on the economy. And to paint this really doom and gloom picture of what's going on with the economy, even though we got great jobs numbers today that almost 2 million people were added back to the workforce, they're still trying to say, oh, well, there's 700,000 manufacturing jobs that haven't come back yet. And you sit there and you go, are they really trying to blame the job losses and the current state of the economy on President Trump? I mean, some people will probably believe it. But I think, you, you know, I, I was watching Dave Rubin and he said, one of the best things, which is you can only bullshit people for so long before they start to say, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you really care about the economy or care about me. So um, this is sort of the Democrats are in this real weird position. And this is a little bit of the national. And then we'll get into the local stuff here in California. But I just wanted to touch upon this because it's been so interesting watching them change from him going from Biden going, well, I'll, I'd absolutely lock the country down again if scientists told me in a, in a heartbeat. Probably because he was pandering to people who believe that the lockdowns and mask work and that COVID is really more serious than it really is. Uh, and trying to make it seem like if you get COVID, you drop dead in the street, which is not true. It's still dangerous, of course, to people who are high risk. Um of advanced age, which we're learning through studies, which we're learning through actual studies and data and numbers. We're starting to see all this stuff about coronavirus. So he started to pander to that. And now he's starting to see that the economy is more important. So now he's coming out saying, well, I would have opened the economy faster because I would have handled COVID so well that we would have been open months ago, which is not true because Trump basically gave the green light to all the states to reopen at their own pace. They gave them guidance on how they should open. They gave them the tools to reopen. They gave them federal dollars. They sure as hell gave a crap load of ventilators to help support it. They gave, they built a lot of extra hospital spaces in a lot of states. Um, and he basically handed it over to states and said, here, you guys figure it out. And the only places that seem to be stuck in lockdowns are all these democratic run states, Michigan, California, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all these states with democratic governors are on lockdown perpetually forever because of they keep moving the goalposts. Now it's positive cases here in California. So every time whether, you know, now we're learning that 90% of people who tested positive really shouldn't have been considered positive because there could be what they call as like sort of dead or leftover viral material in your body. And you would still test positive, even though your body's effectively killed it and destroyed the coronavirus in your body. But because you have remnants of it left in your body, you would still test positive, um, which is that's why it's not a good indicator. It's a horrible indicator because it doesn't just because you're positive doesn't mean that you're in danger just because you're, you're positive could be you may have had it. You may have had it and got over it and there's still remnants in your body. You may never have even known your body is so good with its immune system and its T cells, which we're again, we're starting to learn more about what your T cells do that. There is not enough what they call a viral load to make you contagious. So even if you're positive, you may have not had a viral load enough to make yourself contagious, which is sort of what they've been pushing a lot 
with this asymptomatic stuff that everyone can be this sort of super spreader and we don't even know it, that everyone walking around is sort of just a silent biological weapon and could cough on somebody and cause a, a mass hysteria and ma- mass death and, and chaos. But we're, we're learning that's not really the case. Um, I look at the, the data. I look at a lot of stuff that the people that a lot of that uh, statisticians are putting out stuff like that. That's the stuff that I look at. I don't try and look at the news. I don't try and see what they're trying to say. I look at what they're statistically saying because that's how we have to go forward with this at this point is that statistically we have to look forward and say, okay, we know how the virus is and we, you know, I'm trying to get off this topic, but I want to finish my thought. We know how dangerous the virus is. We know who it affects. Statistically, we know how we can protect people. We can protect those who are most vulnerable while at the same time allowing people to go back. And it's this risk management idea that you have to look at and say, there's a certain amount of risk with you going anywhere. There's a certain amount of risk of you getting in a car. There's a certain amount of risk of you going to a store. I mean, there's a certain amount of risk with anything. You could get food poisoning going to your favorite restaurant. It's the, We're at the point now where we have to look at and say, are the lockdowns worse for coronavirus or are they slowing the spread of coronavirus? And I'm, I've always been in the belief that the longer these lockdowns go on, you're probably killing people or hurting people more through these lockdowns than you are actually protecting people. So, and we did this months ago when I crunched the numbers, and this was back, I believe, in March and April on this podcast. I crunched the numbers on overdoses and suicides, just those two things here in San Diego County and extrapolated it out here in San Diego County based on the data we had. And the number was three to one. It could be much larger than that at this point because the lockdowns have gone on for so long. It could be much larger than that. We could be looking at a 10 to one ratio of where 10 people are dying because of suicide or overdose due to lockdowns or to every one coronavirus death. And that's what's scary. I say conservatively, it's probably still around three to one. Maybe it's five to one at this point. But who knows? The longer we stretch this lockdown out, the numbers are going to increase rapidly. And the more businesses that are destroyed that can't come back, it's going to get worse. So enough of the local news. I want to get on to the local uh, enough of the national news. I want to get on to the local news update on SB 731. I got the email from the deputies uh, association. Uh, not me personally, but because I signed the petition saying that if you signed it, thank you to everybody. Um, it never made it to the floor for a vote. So that is not going anywhere. 10,000 people signed the petition. So it's been stopped. Good news for our law enforcement out there, because that was going to be a mess of a bill um, to, to start to enact. It was going to be dangerous for our communities because you're going to have really just take a bite out of our law enforcement, change the certification process, change who can become a law enforcement officer, and really just discredit or discourage a lot of good men and women who go out there and put on the badge and protect our communities. Probably a lot of people would just say, well, if I'm going to be decertified, well, then I'm just not going to go back to being a, a law enforcement officer. I'll go do something else. Uh, and I wouldn't blame them. If you work that hard to get your certification, your post-certification, and then all of a sudden they take it away from you and you know you have to go through some SJW, social justice, um, sort of gauntlet, then I wouldn't do it either. Uh, in other news, uh, I'm going to put this link up. I don't want to get too far into it because we've got some other big things I really want to talk about. Um, 
Newsom takes uh, Trump's advice and agrees to $1 billion in forest management to prevent wildfires. This is coming from Breitbart. So Newsom finally takes Trump's advice. Remember years ago when Newsom was first elected and Trump came out during the wildfires and was talking about raking and everyone laughed at him and was like, (laughs) raking, what what are you kidding me? Raking, what are we going to get a bunch of people out there, little rakes? And of course they didn't realize that there's actually a machine that is called a raker. And what it does is it goes in and takes out all the underbrush. So They've started to work with the federal government and they're going to start taking out all this underbrush, which is really fire. Uh, what do they call it? Excellent. Um, that that's, what's causing a lot of these huge wildfires is because you have all this fuel that's literally just sitting on the, the forest floor. And as soon as a wildfire starts, it spreads like crazy. We've been doing this for years up until the greenies took over and decided to stop it because they were afraid that, you were killing wildlife or an endangered frog or something like that. But now they've come to get an agreement that they have these ecological ways to do it, that they know how to preserve. And it's good news. Starting in 2021, they're going to start getting rid of the underbrush. We'll see if that has any strong effect on, um, on the wildfires going forward. Uh, because it seems every year that there is just billions of dollars in damage lost to wildfire. Homes lost, businesses lost, people's livelihoods are destroyed because of these wildfires. And if this is one way we can help protect them, I'm glad that Newsom is finally taking Trump's advice. Quietly, he agrees to this $1 billion forest management plan. So good news for wildfires. Um, so this next story, uh, I'm just going to post the link to it in the show notes. I kind of already discussed it and I talked about it at the top of this show, which is how flatten the curve turned into shutdown forever here in California. Basically, the article is talking about how now we have this weird color-coded confusion that you can never get out of it. And even Gavin Newsom has said, well, there's no going back to normal because I don't foresee us going back to normal for a long time. And that's terrifying because it, it's an admission on his part that he doesn't really think we're going back to normal anytime soon, that he doesn't think that there's a path to going back to normal, that he is going to keep pushing this as long as possible. But the big story I really want to talk about, or that, well, we have two things I really want to talk about. One is this SB 145, which on the live this past week, which I want to thank everybody who tuned in to live. I think I'm definitely going to make that a weekly thing. I think Wednesday is good. It's a midweek kind of check in with people who follow and say, uh, what are you guys talking about? What's important to you? And what do you want me to talk about on the podcast? It's also a good time in real time for me to really just take your questions and converse and go over stuff. Um, and this seemed to be one of the biggest topics was SB 145. It's been all over the news It made national news as well. Obviously, everyone knows sort of the background of it. Um, and I'm just going to read some of it. I made some highlights of it. And then we're going to get into some interesting things that I kind of alluded to on the on my Instagram. On the Instagram. Boy, do I sound like a boomer or what? On the Instagram. Uh, is sort of why is this kind of interesting and creepy all at the same time? Uh, so this is a bill about a sex offender registration act and it states uh this is the digest saying existing law the sex offender registration act requires a person convicted of one of certain crimes as specified to register with law enforcement as a sex offender while residing in california or while attending school or working in california as specified 
A willful failure to register as required by the act is a misdemeanor or felony, depending on the underlying offense. Uh, and this is the purpose of this new bill, SB 145. This bill would exempt from mandatory registration under the act a person convicted of certain offenses involving minors if the person is not more than 10 years older than the minor and if that offense is the only one requiring the person to register. So we go down to section 1, 290, uh, subsection B. Every person described in subdivision C... For the rest of the person's life while residing in California or while attending school or working in California is described, blah, 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 shall register with the chief of police of the city in which the person is residing with the sheriff of the county if the person is residing in an unincorporated area or city that has no police department and additionally with the chief of police of the campus of the University of California, California State, or community college if the person is residing upon campus or any of the facilities within five working days of coming into or charging the person's residence within any city, county, or city and county or campus in which the person temporarily resides and shall be required to register thereafter in accordance with the act. So these are the requirements. This is everybody who has to uh, register, right? These, this is what it has been or what it, it, it has been for a while. And this is what changes it. Notwithstanding paragraph one, a person convicted of a violation of subdivision B of section 286, subdivision B of section 287, or subdivision H or I of subsection 289 shall not be required to register if at the time of the offense the person is not more than 10 years older than the minor. As measured from the minor's date of birth to the person's date of birth, uh, and the conviction is the only one requiring the person to register. This paragraph does not preclude the court from requiring, requiring a person to register pursuant to section 290.006. Um, so what does that mean? It means, and they, they've painted this as a win for the LGBT community. Um, I'm not sure the LGBT community would want to, I don't, I don't know if a majority of them want to be kind of lumped in with this bill and the purpose of this bill they're saying is for the LGBT community. So the rule was, is that, and this is previously, it actually has been expanded to um, same sex relations. And this is kind of, I'm trying to tread lightly here because the language, you gotta be careful here. It used to be as heterosexual and it's still weird that you could have gotten away with it if it was more than 10 years. So what they're trying to do is now it's 10 years older than the minor. So any, basically, I guess if you're 18, you could be eight, which is weird because you're an adult and a minor. If that's really the only offense you've had, that could be okay. Uh, but the biggest issue, I don't think it's really eight year olds, but I think the issue is, is you're starting to get into these teenagers and I'm not sure that 14 year olds or 15 year olds really have the wherewithal to be consenting to relationships with people who are in their mid twenties, a 10 year gap like that. I know for myself, there's a big difference between I was 14 and 15 to when I was 25. A lot of things changed in my life. I feel like I grew up. They say the human brain doesn't finish actually process or developing until you're 27. So to take advantage of someone who is 14 or 15 is kind of disturbing. I think, I think if you're 25 and you're, ha you're having relations with someone who is 15, there is a problem. That's a little bit too big of a gap. 
And one of our favorite politicians actually came out against this, Lorena Gonzalez. Uh, I've talked about her a lot because AV5 and how she's married to Nathan Fletcher. She actually came out and said that she, in good conscience, could not actually vote for this bill because she could not support as a mother, and she, I guess she has teenage kids, the idea that her teenage kids could be subjected to the advances of someone who is 10 years older than them, and that's not a crime, and they won't be convicted of or they won't be required to register. Um, doesn't mean, now, looking on the flip side, that does not mean that they won't be in trouble at all. A lot of this is at the discretion of the judge. So the judge can look at this and say, okay, you're 21 and you're in relations with someone who's 11 years old. You have to register as a sex offender. Do we want to leave that up to a lot of judges though? And that's an issue is that Judges are elected here in California, just like they are in a lot of places. So superior court, uh, which is different than federal court. Quick lesson, federal court, any judge in the federal court is appointed by the president, which is what Donald Trump is doing. He's appointing, I guess, over 300 judges at this point in the federal court system. Good for us. However, in superior court, you're elected. So you have to run. So it's based on where you are. So let's say in San Francisco, if you're the quote unquote liberal or democratic judge who gets all the endorsements from the regular democratic um, unions and stuff like that, there's a good chance that you might sympathize with this and believe in this and not require someone to register. Now, in the rest of the in the rest of the state, I could imagine that's probably not going to be the case. You might have a lot of judges who are still going to require you to register. Um, they can still order you to, but I think it should be automatic. I think if you're having relations with a minor, anyone under the age of 18, and you are over the age of 18, I think you absolutely need to be registered as a um, sex offender under the law, because that is just too big of a gap for me. I don't think they have the right wherewithal at 14 or 15 or, or any young teenage age to make this determination. And any parent should really be sick to their stomach about this because you're all going to have, if you're a parent, even if your kids are young, they're going to become teenagers someday. And this basically opens the door for people who are 24, 25. They have access to more money. They have access to alcohol. They have access to things that could really be an impediment on young children. And if they know they can get away with it, or there's a good shot that they could get away with it, there could be more people out there who could prey on young impressionable teens. And that should be scary to every parent out there. Just like Lorena Gonzalez said, it's scary to think that this is happening and that her children could be, and everybody's children could be affected by this law. But what was the interesting thing is because whenever these laws that are really off the wall are passed, I always do, the first thing I always do, and this is something you can do out there if you want to do your own sleuthing, Go to the Secretary of State website and they list everybody who has donated to certain politicians. Now, Scott Weiner, who is the person who introduced this bill um, back in, let's see, when did he introduce this? Back uh, in March. So basically right at the beginning of all the COVID stuff. Not that I don't think there's anything going on or any sort of coincidence between the two. Um he, so he started this bill, Senator, Senator Weiner, Scott Weiner. It's sorry. The name is weird to me. I, Cause I always think of Anthony Weiner. I always think of the stuff that he got 
involved in um is a let's he's a gay senator he's fighting for lgbt rights he's from san francisco uh, that's sort of his selling point with this is that he's standing up for lgbt uh, rights so you can do this on your own and i always tell people don't be lazy whenever these things come up you can go to the secretary of state website and you can figure out these things for yourself. Go to the Secretary of State website. Uh, I'm going to do it right now because I know I pulled it up. One second. Uh, and you can go under campaign finance and go to Cal Access. So Cal Access is a log of every donation, every contribution that has been made. And you can kind of filter it out. You can say what contributions have they made to other people. Um, and this is for a lot of Anything that's really super PACs, re-election committee, stuff like that, you can look at this stuff. That's where I came up with that video about Plum Healthcare and Gavin Newsom and them sending in people and the lobbyists who for Plum Healthcare who gave $10,000 to his campaign just days before he decided that. Um, so I went there and I said, okay, I, I got to see because there might be something fishy going on here. You never know. And out of curiosity, I'm going through, I'm going through, and all of a sudden I noticed something. There's been donations, not large donate, nothing to ring a bell, nothing to really maybe tip the scales or make you think otherwise. So I went in and I went into Scott Wiener for state Senate 2020 reelect. So these are contributions that have been made recently. Okay. So they're still happening right now. I mean, people like right now, I just pulled it up and someone else donated and a couple other people donated. So I started going through and I found something interesting. I said, okay, California. Here, let's see if I can find it now. California IATSE Council PAC. Interesting. It's from Burbank. Um, if you're not familiar, Burbank is really where all the studios for Hollywood really are. Um, it's not in Hollywood anymore. It's more in Burbank. That's where all the studio stuff happens. So I was like, eh, that's interesting. If you don't know, uh, Senator Wiener is the Senator for San Francisco. That's where he's from. That's what he represents. So I thought it was interesting that Burbank was sending him money. And I looked at this company or it's not even a company. It's a political action committee, California IATSE. And I looked up their website and I found that the IATSE equality statement, uh, da, 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 let's see if I can find it. The International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, which is what the acronym stands for, is committed to equality of opportunity to eliminate all forms of discrimination. We are opposed to unlawful and unfair discrimination and oppression on the grounds of sex, gender, identity, and expression, relation, or marital status, race, or ethnicity, disability, sexual orientation, age, language, background, political or religious beliefs, physical appearance, pregnancy, or responsibility for dependence. We believe that equality for all is a basic right, uh, basic human right, and we actively oppose all forms of unlawful and unfair discrimination. IATSE leaders and members must be vigilant in working both with each other and with our employers to promote equal and welcoming environment for all people through our actions, attitudes, and language. Uh, the IATSE celebrates the diversity of society and striving to promote and reflect that diversity within this organization. So obviously their mission statement is 
very progressive and it's kind of weird that they had to throw in age based on discrimination and relationship and sexual orientation. Um, that was just one. Now they made an amount, a, a donation in the amount of a thousand dollars. And this was just last month on August 17th, 2020. So while this is still going through the process, you keep going down. And this was another one that caught my eye because they're obviously a big name. Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated made a donation on March 4th, 2020 of $1,000. Okay, Warner Brothers Entertainment. Why would Warner Brothers pay a donation to a senator who works in San Francisco? This is really interesting to me. Why would, it, why would they make a donation... It seems weird because if you look at the history of bills that Scott Weiner has sponsored, not a lot of them really have too much to do with Hollywood, particularly. There's police force, there's stuff about student loans, there's some other things that you can look at. If you go to Ballotpedia, there's a list of stuff that he has actually sponsored, whether he wrote the bill or introduced the bill. I didn't look into it that deeply. And I thought it was uh, it's kind of interesting. Why is Warner Brothers spending money? on a guy who is supposed to represent San Francisco. Then I got down in this, this lady, Carla sales also from Burbank. So I, I started to look at this and say, okay, there's gotta be a, so obviously Burbank is where a lot of Hollywood elites and stuff like that. Um, work. That's the hub of Hollywood. That's where it all happens is in Burbank, not technically in Hollywood, Hollywood's whole different thing, but um, in Burbank, which is where all the studios are. Then I found this girl, Carla Sales. So I looked up Carla Sales. She made a donation of also $1,000 on 3-4-2020. So the same day that Warner Brothers did. So I looked her up, Carla Sales, and on LinkedIn, she is the Director of Public Affairs at Warner Brothers Entertainment. She's been there for four years, since 2018. According to her LinkedIn, what does a public affairs director do? They monitor, analyze, and make recommendations on legislative and regulatory issues at the international, state, and local level that may affect the company. Meet with local, state, and international elected and appointed officials, film commissioners, and other relevant individuals and organizations to develop relationships that advance business interests, resolve production problems, blah, 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 coordinate with contract legislative advocates. So she works a lot with the legislature and politicians. That's exactly what she does. So basically, she's the person from Warner Brothers who goes out and contacts different legislators about issues that affect Warner Brothers Incorporated. Uh, and before that, for a couple of years, she was the public affairs manager, monitor, analyze, make recommendations on legislative, same exact thing. Uh, and before that, she spent seven years on the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisor. So... Well, actually, she wasn't. She worked at the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. She was policy deputy for Supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas. Not really important. So, Carl Sales has a long history working in politics. Uh, she was an intern at Sorrell Associates. Uh, let's see. She was an assistant project manager at Consensus Planning Group, which developed successful community-based advocacy groups. So, uh, community outreach. Uh, who's the last community organizer that we knew of. And then she worked for Burnside Associates for eight months, which is political campaign consultant, um, developed relationship with local unions, elected officials. So why, again, would Carla Sales have anything to do 
with Scott Wiener, who is in San Francisco. I know for myself, I wouldn't donate to someone outside of my own district. I want someone who's going to represent me. I know that I want my dollars to go exactly to someone who's going to represent me and my local interests. So I think it's interesting that you have these people who have donated to the campaign. And the fact that Carla Sales, who is the legislative advisor to Warner Brothers, the public affairs director, who is in charge of keeping an eye on all this stuff, also told Warner Brothers, maybe you should make a donation to this guy. And why would they make this donation? I'm asking questions here. I don't have an answer. I'm not leading up to some big Glenn Beck sort of chalkboard. Oh, there's this big conspiracy. This is the Illuminati or whatever. I just think it's interesting. Why would Burbank and people in Hollywood be donating? The last one was Disney. They also donated as well um, out of Burbank. They donated $1,000 to Scott Weiner as well. So you have a couple of these Hollywood types who have been in connection with Scott Weiner. Now, I'm not going to put my tinfoil hat on completely, but I'm throwing it out there for you to think about. And maybe this is an exercise that you can start to do with any other litigation and stuff that you have questions about and what people really are doing. It's no secret that Harvey Weinstein, they say, was just the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of people are saying Harvey Weinstein is sort of the sacrificial lamb of Hollywood at this point, that he's going down to protect all these other people. So if Harvey Weinstein, we know Harvey Weinstein didn't happen in a vacuum. We know that Hollywood big wigs and producers and stuff like that have access to young actors who are desperate to make a break. Um, And it's women and men as well are trying to make their way into Hollywood. So is there a possibility, and this is just a rhetorical question to throw out there, is there a possibility that Hollywood has a vested interest in this bill passing and someone like Scott Weiner passing this bill because they know that Harvey Weinstein is going to jail for sexual assault, but he's also in trouble for having sex with people who are probably underage. Um, And that there's many other, not only powerful actors, powerful producers, powerful directors, powerful heads of studio who have access to a lot of good looking up and coming actors. We know that there's stories that people at Disney have possibly been sexually abused by people who are in charge. Um, James Gunn was another one and he was fired. So is there a possibility? We know that it is kind of the open secret of Hollywood that powerful people like to engage in relationships, whether consensual or not, with those who are up and coming. Disney stars, you think of young Disney stars who came up through the ranks, Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus, people like that. Selena Gomez, these are all young stars who were in their teens, preteens, who have come up through the ranks and um, are now super global phenomenons. Is there a link? I'm asking the question because these are questions that really have to be asked of our legislation. And this is sort of an example of how we as citizens have to be a little bit better at following the money of where this is coming from. I mean, I think the bill is disgusting as is. Like I said, I don't think anybody under the age of 18 should be having relationships, whether consensual or not, with anybody who is older than them. If it's consensual, I don't think older people should be people who are 25 or, or however old should be having sex with people who are under the age of 18. I think there's that impressionable 
issue where someone who's 14 or 15 cannot make that decision on their own. And I think that kind of accepting or making this okay now and forgivable, I think there it's just one of those taboos that I don't think should be allowed in society. And I'm not the only one, obviously, like I said, Lorena Gonzalez, who her and I could not be on the political ends of the opposite ends of the spectrum more. We could not disagree about things more, but I agree with her wholeheartedly and her feeling that this is wrong as a mother. She could not accept supporting this bill because she has, I think, I don't, I don't know that much about their personal life, but it sounds like they have children and maybe some of them are teenagers. Then the possibility that there are now people out there who can make, this is really trying to, again, find the correct words to say and be delicate about this to find that there are now people out there who look at this and say, well, now I have free reign to be a little bit more uh, open and a little bit more aggressive in my pursuit of those who are much younger than I am. And it kind of opens up a door to a taboo in society that I think a lot of people, if pressed on it, say, this is too far. Like this is, this is a bridge too far. You've gone too far. (coughs) Excuse me. So again, I didn't put my tinfoil hat on completely. I didn't go Alex Jones. I didn't go Glenn Beck, but this is a good example of, you have to look into these things and you can see the connections. And it's not hard to see the connections that Carlos Sales, who works at Warner Brothers, made a donation. The Warner Brothers makes a donation. Um, This organization of actors, and it's not only actors, it's actors, producers, technicians, all these people who are basically part of this organization down in Burbank that is promoting uh, anti-discrimination based on sexual orientation, age, any of that stuff. Um, And they're supporting someone like Scott Wiener, who is pushing this bill. And then you have the Disney Corporation, which is notorious for young kid shows and grooming a lot of these young stars, like I said, like Adriana Grande or a Miley Cyrus or Selena Gomez or any of these, these girls or guys for that matter. It's, it goes both ways and it kind of makes you wonder, are they okay with pushing this taboo and pushing this door open? And I think the answer to these people is yes, they're okay with this being open and they're fine with this door of taboo being open to society and it being more acceptable which I think says a lot about the people who are donating to a Scott Wiener up in San Francisco when they're seven, 800 miles away from Scott Wiener. He doesn't technically represent their area or their district. Um, so if you don't, if you doubt me and you think I'm, I'm making this up, I, I, I'm looking at the page right now. You can go. Um, I found these specific ones, these three under, I'm going to tell you exactly where you can find it. If you go to that site, go under campaign lobbying, you go to Cal Access, you go to Scott Wiener, and it's spelled W-I-E-N-E-R, not Wiener, like um, like Wiener Schnitzel or something like that. Um, you can go to this Wiener for State Senate 2020, reelect Scott, 
and you can look at this. You can look at contributions received. I did late in $5,000 plus contributions received. That's where I found the first three. Disney was under regular contributions made. You could look it up. Do a control find, control F. You can find, put in Burbank. You can find everybody who I am talking about. Um, the last story I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to just talk about this more generally than I, than I want to read the entire article. Because I think the article sums up my feelings a lot that I've talked about here on this podcast about the California GOP is uh, this comes from the California Globe. Again, my show, these links are always posted in the show notes afterwards. So you can go and read this stuff for yourself because I don't always read the entire article. That would be boring if I just sat here and read articles to you. You'd be like, well, I could just go online and find this stuff. I'm, I'm tuning in for that astute political observation, right? Um, recall Newsom campaign at crossroads is the title. Uh, so let me go into a little bit of this. Um, the dismissal of California's disenfranchised grassroots by their supposed professional champions, not only signifies excessive caution, and unfortunate hypocrisy, it is a practical blunder. A concerted and unified recall effort backed by establishment political forces would yield tangible political benefits. It would finally offer conservatives a cause that makes a compelling case to independents and disaffected Democrats. It would lend momentum to the campaigns of California GOP candidates who endorse the recall, harnessing for their benefit the power of the recall volunteers. Uh, most significantly, a recall effort that was backed by the conservative establishment would be a courageous shot heard around the world. It would serve a notice to anyone anywhere who has written California off as ungovernable cesspool of corruption chaos. People are fighting back, and they mean business. Um, I think this article absolutely nails my frustration with the California GOP. The article goes on to say it's time for California conservative establishment to stop playing only defense and when they do go on offense, only wage incremental battles. We can take back an assembly district. We have to put all our resources into stopping the split rule initiative. Well, yes and no. Of course, these battles have to be fought. Meanwhile, however, there is no overall strategy or message. No unifying theme, no simple but profound rallying cry, no economical passion that reaches out to every voter in California, regardless of their ideology or background. In short, it's all tactical, which in these times of epic transformations and tension, nobody cares about. Um, the California GOP is losing an enormous possibility here. And it's crazy to think that they have not jumped on this yet. It's crazy to think that they haven't seen the absolute grassroots and to think the recall effort, I think, is going better than most previous ones because it's completely grassroots, which shows the California GOP that they are absolutely horrible grassroots organization because a bunch of people on social media have effectively done better organizing and getting people involved than the actual California GOP, which is a major party here in the state. Now, they could jump on this, and I think that they would be smart to jump on it and say, look, we're going to push it, and we're going to back it, and we're going to send it out to our donors, and we're going to endorse it. And I think this is a time to say that this is what you get when you have someone like Gavin Newsom and Gavin Newsom Democrats. This is the state that you get. You get a state that is record in homeless, record in poverty, uh, awful in education, awful in opportunity, 
um, highest housing prices, highest gas prices, highest taxes, stuff like that, massive wildfires. So I think you have to, if you're the California GOP, have a little bit of a strategy meeting and say, how can we jump on this and put some muscle behind this, put some political force behind this, sort of rally all our conservative donors, our conservative base. How do we get behind this and show that we're trying to fight back in this state? And I think that's the issue I've always had with the California GOP. They seem to be happy being the party of losers that you, you don't have. And I, I think maybe Jessica Patterson worked her way up and, you know, I don't want to discredit her for doing what she's doing. She may have worked hard to get where she is. I don't think she's the right leader for the California GOP right now. I don't think she has the stomach and the backbone to really take on Gavin Newsom. Now, she's the figurehead. I understand that as the California GOP chairwoman, you have a lot of responsibility, but you're the figurehead of the only opposition party in California. And to me, she comes off as too congenial, too meek, too apologetic. And again, you needed someone like Travis Allen, who ran again for the chairman and got absolutely no support from his own party. Is someone you need you in the same sense that it's like you need a wartime consigliere as opposed to a peacetime consigliere. Jessica Patterson is a peacetime consigliere. If you're a Godfather fan, you would know what I'm talking about right now. We need a wartime consigliere like a Travis Allen to go out and say we need to hit the Democrats everywhere. They have a lot of power and money. They don't have unlimited power and money. And I think if there is a good effort to really fire a shot across the bow and say, we are really taking it to Gavin Newsom. This recall effort is one of the best ways to do it. It is a enormous grassroots movement. There are thousands of people behind it. Everywhere I go, I know that the Trump parade, Trump boat parade here in San Diego, um, they're going to have a table set up. So this is an opportunity and the California GOP really needs to get, and excuse my French, their heads out of their asses about this because we're in trouble here and you're the only opposition party with any power or money behind you and you're too worried about i god knows i have no idea what you're worried about and i subscribe to your emails and all i get is the same stuff about national politics about trump and pelosi but i don't see anything about how you're fighting back here in california and you're not helping local candidates are you helping um, little local offices? Are you helping take back the state assembly? Are you finding a good governor? Are you supporting the right people to help take over? I don't see any of that. And I think they, they've dropped the ball here to kind of jump on this resistance bandwagon. They could be the party of the resistance. They could be the party of the alternative, the party of hope, the party of, I hate to say hope and change, but change here in California. But they've absolutely flubbed this at this point. And there's a golden opportunity for them to jump in here and really take advantage of this. And they absolutely failed, which is just endemic of the California GOP at all, that they just are, the like I said, they're fine with being the party of losers. And God help me, I saw this on Instagram the other day. John Cox is figuring out an exploratory committee for governor again. God help us if John Cox runs for governor again and lays down and dies so Gavin can get a second term. John, you're, you seem like a nice guy. You seem like you can raise some money and organize. You're, you're a smart business guy. Stay out of the race. 
For the rest of us, you laid down and died for that governor race. We had a shot to actually get a Republican in, which has not been heard of in a long time here in California. And But the California GOP will probably back him anyway because he's got money and it's all about the consultant class and who can spend the most money. Don't even get me started. That'd be a whole another episode about the consultant class in California GOP and John Cox and why he was picked. But I want to end today's show. Ran a little bit longer as I, I, I try and get as much in. Follow me on Instagram, California Underground. I'm going to have another live 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Bring your coffee and we'll talk. California Underground at ProtonMail.com if you want to email me. Anchor.fm forward slash California Underground to leave a voice memo to call into the show. Have a great Labor Day. Stay cool. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 